Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this Sabbath day. Thank you for how you have brought us through another week. Thank you, Lord, because you have blessed and sanctified the Sabbath day. And we know that as we are here, as we are keeping your Sabbath day, you are sanctifying our hearts as well. And Father, we ask for your presence in this time. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. We plead for the Holy Spirit to be here. And I pray, Lord, that you would truly allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Please convict us, make the truth plain to us, and help us to apply the lessons that you want us to learn from the message today. And I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, that you would use me now for your glory. May people not see me, but may they see Jesus and him alone. Thank you so much for hearing and answering our prayers, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as Pastor Ben mentioned, we will be continuing our series on the seven churches of Revelation. And last week, okay, we looked at the church of Ephesus. Remember the church of Ephesus, they left their first love. Okay, and that was their problem, but God also gave them the solution. And this morning, for the sermon this morning, we will be looking at the second church. And the second church is the church of Smyrna. Okay, it's the church of Smyrna. So let's turn our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8, the Bible says this, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now, the church of Smyrna existed around the time 100 AD to about 313 AD. Now, it's very interesting that the name Smyrna means myrrh. Okay, what does it mean? It means myrrh. Now, what is myrrh? If you go in the dictionary, okay, myrrh is, it will tell you that myrrh is a sap-like substance that comes from the bark of trees. And myrrh is usually used to make perfume or a sweet-smelling incense. Okay, so it's a substance that produces a sweet smell. So we can say that this church, this, uh, the church of Smyrna, is a church that produces a sweet smell. Now, what does that mean? What does the Bible tell us about sweet-smelling incense? Let's go to a few Bible verses here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says this, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, a sweet-smelling savor, or smell, according to Ephesians 5 verse 2, represents the sacrifice and offering of Christ. It represents His love for us. Okay? Let's go to one more text. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15 and 17. It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savour of His knowledge by us in every place. 
For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that are perished. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. You see, friends, the Bible also says that we are a sweet savour of God to Christ. But what must we do if we are to be a sweet savour unto God? The Bible says there in verse 17, we must not corrupt the Word of God. Those who corrupt the Word of God cannot be a sweet savour to God. So as we looked at the meaning of a sweet-smelling savour in the Bible from Ephesians 2 and also 2 Corinthians, it gives us an idea of what the church of Smyrna was like. You see, the church of Smyrna was a church that, were, that was willing to sacrifice themselves for Christ. They were a church that were willing to give themselves as an offering for God. And the church of Smyrna was a church that did not corrupt God's word. Now, we'll talk about this, more about this in just a moment. Now, as we are looking through the seven churches of Revelation, we have to remember that Christ will introduce himself to this church in a way that fulfills the needs of this church. So let us look at the way Christ introduced himself to this church. Okay, there in verse 8, how did Christ introduce himself to this church? Christ introduced himself as the first and also the last, the dead and the alive. In other words, Christ was introducing himself as the resurrection and the life. Now, what other time in the Bible did Jesus introduce himself as the resurrection and the life? Let's go to the book of John, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Now, what was happening at this time? Okay, the background of this story is that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, was dead. He's been dead for a few days already at this time. And Jesus came to visit Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. And Jesus here was about to perform a miracle by raising Lazarus from the dead. And, Martha, and as he was about to do this, you know, Martha, she kind of doubted. She kind of doubted that, that Jesus was able to resurrect Lazarus at that time. She told Jesus that, I know that someday Lazarus would be resurrected. But what did Jesus tell, tell Martha? He told her that he is the resurrection and the life. And therefore, Christ was able to resurrect Lazarus at that time. So when we go back to the church of Smyrna, why did Jesus introduce himself as the resurrection and the life to this church? You see, friends, it is because this church, the church of Smyrna, they needed to know that if they die, they would be resurrected. 
they needed to know that life and death are in the hands of Jesus, and they need not worry about death. If they are faithful unto death, Christ would resurrect them in the future. But what was happening to the church at this time? Why did they need the assurance of resurrection if they died? Why did Christ have to give them this promise? Let's continue. Let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, the first thing that Jesus did after introducing himself to this church was to command their works. Christ said he knew their works, their tribulation, and their poverty. Now, let's look at their works and their tribulations first. What does the Bible tell us about tribulations? Let's go to the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 35. Sorry, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Okay, Romans 5 verses 3 to 5. The Bible says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now the Bible says, that when we go through tribulations, we should rejoice. Why? Because when we go through tribulations, it builds our patience, and it leads us to gain more experience, and eventually, it helps us to have hope. And this is what the church was experiencing at that time. This church was going through tribulation and persecution, and they were developing patience and also experience. And Christ recognized this. And this is why Christ needed to remind them, needed to remind this church about the resurrection. He needed to assure them that even though they would experience death through their tribulations, Christ would resurrect them. Their lives are in the hands of Christ. They need not worry about death as long as they were faithful. Now there in verse 9, Christ also said that he knows their poverty, but then he tells them that they are rich. Now what does this mean? What does it mean that this church was poor, but also rich? It means that this church, the church of Smyrna, they were poor in temporal things. They were poor when it came to the things of this world, but they were rich in spiritual things. And this church was following the example of Christ. Now notice what the Bible says about Jesus when he was here on earth. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. The Bible says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You see, friends, Christ is rich, okay? He is the owner of everything. But Christ became poor, literally poor, 
so that we can become spiritually rich. Let's go to one more text. Let's go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You see, when Christ was here on earth, he lived a life of self-sacrifice and self-denial. He lived a poor and simple life. And he went through this experience to save us so that we can inherit spiritual blessings and so that we can become spiritually rich. And this is the experience that the church of Smyrna was going through. They were poor in earthly possessions but they were rich in spiritual things. But what specifically were they rich in? Let's go to one more text. Let's go to James chapter 2 and verse 5. James chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he had promised to them that love him? You see, friends, they were poor in this world, but they were rich in their faith. This church did not care about their worldly possessions. They did not care about how much money they had. Their concern was being faithful to God. Their focus was being rich in faith. And friends, can we say the same about our lives today? Are we following the same example? Notice what Alan White says in the following quotations. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, 682, Paragraph 2. Ellen White says, The humblest and poorest of the true disciples of Christ, who are rich in good works, are more blessed and more precious in the sight of God than the men who boast of their great riches. They are more honorable in the courts of heaven than the most exalted kings and nobles who are not rich toward God. She continues on. The Apostle Paul exhorted Timothy to charge the rich. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves, a good foundation against the time to come, that they may hold, lay hold on eternal life. This admonition is applicable to you, Brother N, and to very many who profess to believe the truth for these last days. You see, friends, while we are living on this earth, our focus should not be on getting rich. It should not be on gaining worldly possessions. We should not strive to have a high-paying job so that we can enjoy life. Our focus should not be to get rich, but we should be focused on gaining the riches of heaven. We should focus on obtaining spiritual blessings. Focus on being rich in faith. Friends, what is your focus in this life today, in, in this world today? If your focus is on the things of this world, then we need to ask God to change our mindset. We need to ask God to shift our focus. As we are living in these last days, as we profess the truth in these last days, we need to focus on gaining 
spiritual blessings. Now is not the time for us to pile up our money or possessions, but we must be focused on being rich in faith in these last days. Now let's go back to verse verse 8, verse 9, sorry. Verse There in verse 9, Christ also said that He knows the blasphemy of them who say they are Jews but are not. Now what did Christ mean by this? Who was Christ addressing when he, said, when he talked about those that are Jews but are not? Notice this Bible verse. Let's go to Romans chapter 2, verse 29. Romans 2, verse 29, the Bible says, But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of man, but of God. Now this verse here in Romans chapter 2 verse 29 is referring to spiritual Jews or we can say spiritual Christians. Now during this time, okay, during the time of the church of Smyrna, there were Christians who were only professing Christianity, but Christ did not recognize them. They were only Christian on the outside, but not inwardly. And what distinguished the true Christian from the false Christian, it was the persecution that was taking place at that time. You see, persecution showed who the true Christians were and who the false Christians were. How? You see, the true Christians were willing to remain faithful to God despite persecution. And the false Christians, what did they do? They compromised and they forsook Christ in the face of persecution. You see, friends, Christ today allows persecution in our churches so that He can show the difference between His true followers and those who merely, merely profess Christianity. And per persecution, friends, does not change our character. You see, going through persecution doesn't necessarily change your character. It only reveals your character. It only reveals if we are faithful to God or not. But you see, this is something we need to understand today. If we are to be faithful to God during persecution, we must be faithful to Him now. The preparation must happen right now. If we cannot remain faithful to God in times of peace, we will not remain faithful to Him in times of persecution. If we wait for persecution to come, to be faithful, friends, let me tell you that that will be too late. Now is the time to prepare ourselves while we are in times of peace. Friends, can we truly say that we can be faithful to God during persecution? Can we say that we are willing to be faithful to God in the face of death? Can we truly say like, be like this, the Church of Smyrna, that they would be faithful and true Christians in the face of persecution. Now at the end of verse 9, Christ mentions that those who were only professing Christianity, they were not true Christians, but they are part of the synagogue of Satan. Now who is the synagogue of Satan? Who is this group that Christ called out here? Notice what Ellen White says, 
in Testimonies for Ministers, page 16, paragraph 1. She says, Satan has a large confederacy, his church. Christ calls them the synagogue of Satan because the members are the children of sin. The members of Satan's church have been constantly working to cast off the divine law and confuse the distinction between good and evil. Satan is working with great power in and through the children of disobedience to exalt treason and apostasy as truth and loyalty. And at this time, the power of his satanic inspiration is moving the living agencies to carry out the great rebellion against God that commenced in heaven. Friends, how do we know if we are false Christians? How do we know if we are part of the synagogue of Satan today? We need to ask ourselves the question, what is my response when persecution hits me, when persecution comes in my life? Do I find myself compromising my principles and turning away from God? Do I find myself turning back to my past life of sin when persecution comes? If so, if your answer is yes, then friends, we are merely professing Christianity and we are false Christians. You see, true Christians will overcome and will remain faithful no matter what, especially in times of persecution, especially when persecution comes to hit us. The true Christians will remain faithful no matter what. French, which, which side do you stand on today? You need to reflect on your life. You need to reflect on your where you stand with God today. This is only a question that you can answer. Are you a true Christian or are you a false Christian? That is something for you to ponder, something for you to reflect upon. Now let's continue. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, the first thing that Christ counsels this church to do is to fear none of those things which they shall suffer. Now, why did Christ tell them not to fear persecution? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Matthew 10, 28, the Bible says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, Christ was telling this church not to fear death or those who could kill them, but rather they should fear God. You see, Christ was telling them that if they were faithful and if they died for their faith, Christ would resurrect them and they would enjoy eternal life. However, if they would choose to be unfaithful, they would die and they would not be resurrected to eternal life. Rather, they would be resurrected to eternal life damnation. Christ here was counseling the church, telling them that their focus was to be on being faithful, no matter what. Even if it meant that they would die, Christ was telling them 
not to fear the outcome. Their only focus, their only concern was to be faithful and they should leave the results to God. Now Christ also told them that the devil would cast some of them into prison. Now the devil here is synonymous to the synagogue of Satan that we saw in the previous verse. The word devil and Satan are synonymous. And from the previous verse, we saw that the synagogue of Satan is referring to unfaithful Christians. It's referring to, the, to those false Christians who merely profess Christianity. So Christ is telling them that the unfaithful Christians will cast them into prison. Now, how did unfaithful Christians cast members of this church into prison? How did unfaithful Christians cast true Christians into prison? Let's go to John chapter 6, verses 70 to 71. The Bible says, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. You see, friends, Judas Iscariot, he betrayed Christ later on. But before he betrayed Christ, Christ knew that he was going to betray him, and he called Judas a devil. But remember, in this context that we are seeing here in, in the book of Revelation, the devil refers to unfaithful Christians, of which Judas was one. Let's go to one more text. Let's go to Luke 21, verse 16. Luke 21, verse 16, the Bible says, And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. You see, friends, the sad reality is that in the last days, some of us might be betrayed by our friends and even our families, and we might be put to death. You see, the message to the church of Smyrna is very relevant to us today. Christ, Christ is telling us that we need to be faithful even if those closest to us choose to betray us. Even if those closest to us choose to be unfaithful and to turn away from God, we must remain faithful. Even if we are the only one, we must stay faithful to God no matter what. Let's go to one more text. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 and 4. The Bible says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now let's go to verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her, sorry, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, if you study this passage, you will know that the dragon here in this passage is referring to the devil. But during the time of Christ, the devil used the pagan Roman Empire to try to destroy Christ when he was born. So the, the dragon here in, uh, in Revelation is also referring to the Roman Empire being used by the devil to destroy Christ. 
You see, in the last days, the devil will use people to try to destroy us. And it can be anyone. It can be our friends. It can be our family members. It can even be people within the church. But what must we do? We must make the commitment to put God first. And we must be faithful to God even though we are the only one. We must dare to stand alone. We must dare to stand faithful to God even if we are alone. Now, another thing that Christ told this church was that they would have tribulation for 10 days. Now, what was this referring to? Was this a literal 10 days that they would suffer persecution? No. Remember, this church was going through a lot of tribulation. And if their tribulation was only for 10 days, Christ wouldn't have warned them about this. Okay? 10 days is kind of short, you see? Not that it's, it's not bad, but it's kind of short. Now, remember that in Bible prophecy, a day is equal to a year. So as we are reading the book of Revelation, we must apply the day for a year principle. So 10 days here are actually referring to 10 years. Christ was telling them that they would suffer tribulation for 10 years. And the tribulation for these 10 days or 10 years was referring to the persecution that this church went through under the reign of Diocletian. And this was from 303 AD to 313 AD. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about this, but if you go and look at history, you look at what was happening at this time, God's people were going through one of the worst persecutions in history. Christians were being killed by the masses. They were going through terrible persecution. But you see, this church remained faithful even during one of the worst persecutions. Their faith was not shaken. They did not wa waver. They did not compromise. You see, many times, friends, we find ourselves turning away from God when we are being hit with just a slight persecution. We find ourselves being unfaithful and wavering in our faith. And the, the message to this church should awake us to the realization that we need to have even greater faithfulness today. You see, we have not even gone through a little bit of what the early Christians went through. And yet their faith was so much stronger than our faith today. Friends, this should be a rebuke to us. If we are to go through the persecutions that will come in the last days, which will be so much worse, we need to make sure that we are faithful to God today. Now in the times of peace, when persecution has not come in full swing, we must make sure that we are strengthening our relationship with God. We must make sure that we are renewing our commitment to Him, that we are making the decision to be faithful to Him no matter what. Now, at the end of verse 10, Christ promises them that, they would, that He would give them a crown of life. They, Christ would give them a crown of life if they endured. And this crown of life would be given to them when Jesus comes again for the second time. And today, friends, Christ is giving this same promise to us. You see, if we are faithful to God, even unto death, 
even in the midst of the fiercest persecutions, God would God will give us a crown of life when He comes again to take us home. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. The Bible says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. You see, friends, Christ will give us a crown of righteousness. He will give a crown of righteousness to everyone who loves His appearing, to those who are awaiting His coming. And if we are truly longing for Jesus to come, if we are truly waiting for Jesus to come, then we must be faithful. We must endure to the end. We must be willing to go through persecution and remain faithful. You see, Christ is calling us today not only to desire the crown of life, but to desire the cross of sacrifice as well. We must desire to bear the cross of sacrifice as much as we desire to bear the crown of life. But let's continue, friends. Let's go to the last verse um, of, of this church. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 11. The Bible says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Now, what does, this, what does it mean for this church to overcome? It means to be faithful through persecution. And what is the promise that was given to the church? The promise given is that they will not be heard of the second death. Even if they die and they suffer the first death, they will be resurrected and they will not suffer the second death. And friends, what is the second death? Maybe you are sitting there and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, what is the second death? I, I've never heard of this before. The second death is the eternal death. That is the death that will be experienced by all those who have been unfaithful to God. This is the death that will cause the sinners at the end of time to be perished forever. You see, the first death is no respecter of persons, right? Those faithful to God will still suffer the first death. But the second death is reserved only for those who choose to be unfaithful. It's for those who choose to forsake and leave Christ. They will suffer the second death, which will cause them to perish forever. But what does the Bible say about the second death? Let's go to Revelation chapter 2, 20 and verse 6. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. The Bible says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. See, friends, the Bible promises us that the faithful will not suffer the second death, but they shall reign with God forever. And this is the promise that we need to hold on to today. That no matter what happens in this life, that no matter what we go through, even if it causes us to die for our faith, we will be part of that first resurrection and we will rise to reign with God 
forever. You see, friends, the church of Smyrna was the church that went through persecution. But they were faithful to God despite the persecution they faced. They were faithful to God no matter what. And God promised them that they need not fear death because death on this earth only meant that they would awake to life eternal. And friends, that message, the message to the church of Smyrna, is also the message to us today. You see, things may seem peaceful now, but soon, persecution will come. And we will face persecution like never before. You know, the reality is, the worst is yet to come. We should stop hoping for things to get better in this world because things will only get worse before Jesus comes. We should hope that we are ready, that we are preparing ourselves so we can be um, ready to inherit God's kingdom when He comes. But you see, friends, no matter what we go through in the future, God is calling us today to be faithful no matter what. And I do not know what we will go through specifically in the future. But I know for a fact that we will suffer persecution. Many of us will be put in prison. Many of us will be tortured. Maybe some of us will die as martyrs for our faith. And we need to prepare ourselves today. We need to be faithful to God. But as we prepare for the persecution that comes, as we prepare for the persecution that lies ahead, I want to leave you with this promise that we can find in the spirit of prophecy. Ellen White says in the book Prophets and Kings, page 545, paragraph 3. She says, Heaven is very near those who suffer for righteousness' sake. Christ identifies his interest with the interest of his faithful people. He suffers in the person of his saints, and whoever touches his chosen ones touches him. The power that is near to deliver from physical harm or distress is also near to save from the greater evil, making it possible for the servant of God to maintain his integrity under all circumstances and to triumph through divine grace. You see, friends, we are never alone in this world. We can take comfort in the fact that Christ is with us and he will be with us till the end. And if God allows us to go through persecution, he will give us the grace to endure it and to overcome. So friends, my appeal to you today, to all of us, is that we will make the decision to be faithful to God no matter what. That we will be faithful to God no matter what we face in this life, no matter what comes in the future. Friends, what is your response? What is your decision today? God is calling all of us to be faithful. As, as this world comes to an end, things will only get worse. But Christ is telling us to endure to the end. He's telling us to be faithful, even in the midst of persecution. And Christ will be with us. Friends, I hope that you will make the decision to be faithful no matter what, that you would renew your commitment to Him even now, and that you would re-surrender your lives to Him. Let us pray 
as we close here. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this message. Thank you so much, Lord, for the message that you have given to the Church of Smyrna. And Father, we know that just before Jesus comes, things will only get worse. We will be going through persecution again. We will, we will be going through um, a lot of tribulation. But Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. Help us to see that all these things are just temporary. That when Jesus comes again, he will make an end to all these things. But for now, Lord, while we are living on this earth, help us to be faithful. Help us to make the decision to be faithful no matter what. And Father, I pray that you would truly prepare us for what is coming in the future. Help us not to fear, but help us to surrender our lives into your hands, knowing that life and death are, are yours, that life and death are in your hands. So help us, Lord, to surrender our lives to you. Help us to be faithful. Help us to put you first in our lives. And help us, Lord, to long and to wait for your coming. Father, I pray for every person that has heard this message, that you would convict them, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would continue to lead and guide them <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you so much for this time, and I thank you so much for hearing and answering our prayers. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.